Thank you all. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodburn Baptist Church. So happy to, to have you this morning. On uh, Anyone joining us by video, The Overflow, Perry, Oklahoma, guys, we love you so much. Thank you for being a part of our worship service. Open your Bibles today to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, just one of my favorite stories. Uh, how many of you are people watchers? You like to watch people? This is one of the greatest stories in Scripture because it's a place where Jesus is people watching. He's just watching people. And he helps us learn which ones to watch, and, and, and it's a good story for that. It's also a story that inevitably uh, leads us to talk about giving and money, and I know that some of you automatically begin to hyperventilate when, uh, when, when that is the case. Uh, relax, uh, relax. Uh, you're not in that church, and I know there are churches where they talk about money all the time. Um, we're not that church because we, we just never have been that church. Uh, long before I got here, this is a church that practiced incredible, incredible examples of generosity. Uh, I am looking at uh, some of the most generous people I know and probably some of the most generous people on earth. Uh, I know that. Uh, I have spent the best part of my life in Woodburn Baptist Church, and I have often wanted to imitate you all, some of you, in, in your giving habits, in your generosity, and, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I do... Uh, intentionally try to imitate some of you. I want to be as generous as you are because I know that in imitating some of you, I would be imitating Christ. Uh, and, and, and for that reason, it's a joy and a privilege to, to preach on, on giving to this church. Uh, you all uh, are, are living examples of, of, of what generosity looks like. At the same time, it, it, it's just in the Bible, and I promise whenever I'm preaching giving, I'm going to be preaching from the Bible. I'm not going to be preaching from the budget report or even the newspapers and the economy. I'm going to preach what God's Word says about money because it matters. It truly matters. The Scripture says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So very seriously, money issues are always spiritual issues, and your attitudes about money have everything to do with your attitudes toward Christ himself. So very seriously, uh, money, uh, our financial lives always, always have an important part to play in, in, our, in our spiritual lives. The other thing I can promise you is what you've already taught me, and that is just simply that giving is, is freeing and it's fun. And, and I really, really mean that. Giving is fun. And if you've never really discovered that, then you haven't given enough. You may have heard the old saying, give till it hurts. I, I don't agree with that. I say you give till it feels good. Because truly, truly, it is freeing and it is fun to give. And, and, and again, I, I am saying that to people who have taught me that. You've taught me how hilarious it, it is uh, to, to give and, and to give from the bottom of a, of, of a deep and, and, and generous heart. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed there always means happy. So truly, Jesus is saying, it'll always make you happier to give than to get. And I want us to look at a good example of that from Jesus himself today, as Jesus is watching people in the temple. Now, this particular passage is, is in a place where Jesus has been teaching in the temple. So this is, uh, he, he spent some time there already on this particular day. And verse 37 says right into our passage that the crowd's been listening to him with great delight. Crowd's been listening with great delight. But after his teaching, he sort of pulls aside and, and, and you'll notice what happens next. I'm going to start Mark chapter 12, verse 38. Watch the people and, uh, and then pay attention to the one Jesus says you should be watching. Jesus also taught, verse 38, 
Beware of these teachers of religious law. And understand when he says that, they're all walking around. He's in the temple. He's saying, watch these guys. Beware of these teachers of religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. And Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a, a tiny part of their surplus. They gave out of their wealth, Jesus says, a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. They gave out of their wealth. She has given everything she had. I, like a lot of you, I'm a people watcher too. I, I don't need television. I don't need anything. I could just watch people forever, man. They crack me up. People are so entertaining and honestly just fun to watch. I just, I just love to watch people. When I was in seminary, uh, I, of course, am an artist, and I was studying some uh, things to do with Christian art. And one of my assignments was in a, in a very large, beautiful, old, old Catholic church in old Louisville called St. Martin's. Uh, so I was studying the artwork at, at St. Martin's, but also studying how the artwork affected the way people worshipped. So I would uh, go to a, a seat in the balcony there, and I would just watch. I, I would spend all my weekdays cataloging and studying all of the stained glass windows and all of the sculptures. It's an amazing, amazing place of beauty. As I was working there one day during the week, and there weren't a lot of people in the church at the time, I, I noticed the cleaning lady. And there's a cleaning lady there. She's amazing. She's about 200 years old and about this tall and uh, real short hair. She wore lots of clothes, just lots and lots of layers of clothes. She would keep a dust rag in this pocket and a can of snuff in this pocket, which she always took like it was against the law, like somebody was going to stop her. And I don't know if, if Catholics don't dip snuff. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. But she always acted like she shouldn't be seen putting that in her lips. So she would always sneak over, and she'd just stuff that bottom lip with, with, with snuff. And it would be blowing dust and coming out of the corners of her mouth. But, but she was just sweet, and she cleaned all day long. She just swept and dusted. An old place like that is hard to keep. One day, the old lady, the cleaning lady, came up to me and said, what you doing? Because she could tell that, that, that I was there every day. And I explained, I'm a seminary student. I'm studying the artwork in, in your church building in the way that people worship in, in, a, in a room this beautiful. And she said, you like art? I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I love art. She said, I got pictures. You want to see my pictures? And honestly, I'm thinking, why would I want to see your pictures when I'm standing here in the middle of all of this beauty? But I didn't say that. I just said, sure, I'll look at your pictures one day. Anyway, I spent all of these days at St. Martin's, and I looked at the windows and all the sculptures, and I would watch the people come and go. I would watch them come and go and how they would interact in, in this room with all of these uh, artworks. But then I started watching the cleaning lady. 
But when the room was mostly empty, she would dust and she would sweep and she would walk around and she'd dip her snuff. But then when everything would get really quiet, she'd sit down in the back of the church and she would reach into those pockets and just pull out paper, napkins, scraps of paper she was picking up off the floor. And she'd get real close and she would just draw. And she would pray and close her eyes and pray and then she'd just draw. So I got really interested in this lady. So one day I said, could I see your pictures? She said, you like art? I said, I love art. Can I see your pictures? I'd love to show you my pictures. And she just started pulling out of these pockets, all of these pockets, just scraps of paper, napkins and and old pieces of literature and and newspaper and just scraps. But on, on every inch of every piece of paper, she had drawn the most beautiful faces of Jesus and and crosses. And you could tell that for her, drawing was prayer. Artwork was prayer. She just loved the Lord. And she would draw his beautiful face on these scraps of paper and then keep them in all of her pockets. You see, I I spent weeks studying the people and studying the artwork at St. Martin of Tours in Louisville. But I learned a whole lot more by watching the cleaning lady. I learned more about worship, more about loving Jesus, and, and more about art from her. So what I'm saying is, it's one thing to watch people, but it's very important to know which one to watch. Very important to know which one to watch. Now, in this particular story in Scripture, Jesus is at the temple, and and it's a crowded place, understand that. And for the most part, people watch the leaders. They watch the scribes, the the teachers of the law, as they're called in the New Living Translation. They they watch the ministers at the temple because in Jesus' day and probably in our day as well, the leaders had a way of being seen. Now, in, in this particular day, the leaders had become particularly corrupt, but they didn't necessarily know that. You understand that? When Jesus says, don't be like these guys, don't be like the teachers of the law, we expect him to say that, and we understand why he says that, because we've been trained from the very beginning in reading the Bible always to see the scribes and Pharisees as the bad guys. But but please understand, in Jesus' day, most people didn't see them as bad guys. And they certainly didn't see themselves as bad guys. It's very, very difficult for a hypocrite to see his or her own hypocrisy. Do you understand that? For the most part, we deceive ourselves, and we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. So understand, they don't necessarily know how dark and contracted their hearts have become. But Jesus says, don't be like these guys. And he can point them out because all eyes are on them. They have a way of being seen. Now, Jesus points out how they wear the long flowing robes, that they have a way of dressing which guarantees that they will always be noticed. It's interesting, but back in their day, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were professional ministers of sorts, but it was against the religious laws to pay them. So they couldn't be paid, they couldn't be on the temple payroll. So they devoted their entire life to serving God and to ministry, but they depended upon the kindness of other people. Other people had to take care of them. So so that was sort of the setup. They were in ministry. They worked for the temple, but they couldn't be paid. They had to be supported by the people. So Jesus points out that that, that by the time you get to his, his day, and as you look around the temple at these guys, it's pretty obvious they're living, they're living pretty high lives. 
They've got some nice things. They've got some long robes. They've got some fancy watches on them. They have uh, double parked their camel out there by the temple because they got some pretty nice camels. You understand? And these are guys that really don't even get a paycheck. But they've learned, and Jesus says they've learned how to shamelessly cheat widows. And that's what Jesus says. He knows what they do. And in this day, the scribes, all eyes are on the scribes. But the scribes were men that were very, very corrupt men. They had learned how to manipulate people, how to separate the temple goers from their money so that less of the money stayed in their pockets and more of the money came to them. They cheated people. These were religious leaders who learned to manipulate the system, who learned to use religion as a way of getting rich. And Jesus says there is a special place in hell for guys like that. I mean, that's what he says. That's what he says. They will be more severely punished. There's a special place in hell for people who would use religion, who would use the temple, who would use worship, who would cheat other people in the name of ministry, in the name of God. There's a special place in hell for their punishment, Jesus says. They will be more severely punished. Now, in that day, it was easy to sort of focus on them because they were up front and they had a way of drawing attention to themselves. But Jesus says, no, no, don't be like them. Don't watch them. Don't watch them. Now, otherwise, at the temple, especially at offering time, all eyes are going to be on the rich. People are going to pay attention to the rich because we still just can't help it. It is just amazing to watch rich people come and go. I mean, my goodness, they would pull up in their giant cars right there by the temple and double park in all the best parking places, and they would pop out in their Italian suits and, and, and their fancy purses, and they would come walking in, and I mean, golly, you just can't help but watch them. I mean, we still tend to watch the rich. They're much more interesting than the poor. You just watch the rich. But you need to understand something about how the temple was collected, how the money was collected in the temple back in Jesus' day. It says that Jesus was back by the treasury where the collection boxes were. What we know from Scripture and what we know from archaeology is that in in the old temple in Jesus' day, there are 13 collection boxes all in a line. 13 collection boxes, and they're awesome. They're big, and and they have these giant mouths, sort of like the the bell of of a tuba. You picture this with me? It's a big metal like a funnel, a big mouth. And, and so these collection boxes have these giant, giant metal bells. And, and so what would happen is you, you would walk by, you would throw your money in those giant metal mouths for those collection boxes. And, and there's no paper money. There are no checks. There are no gift cards. I, I mean, all you have are coins. All money in Jesus' day is in the form of metal coins. Now, most of the metal coins were pretty big and pretty heavy, and the rich people sort of learned how to do this. I mean, when you come in to give your offering at the temple, you can make quite a racket if you do it right, and they learn to do it right. So you understand? So if you're going to give 50 bucks, you have all of this in coins. And so what you can do is stand back and drop those in, you understand? And it starts sounding like Vegas. Can you hear it? Just the way the coins would ring and jangle in those giant trumpets. And they called them trumpets. It's the mouth of the collection box. So the rich people would file by and they would pour their money in those giant trumpets, those big trumpet mouths. And the coins would roll and jangle and fall into the box. And it was a tremendous racket. 
It was just a tremendous racket. Back in the Beatitudes when Jesus says, when you give your money to the poor, don't trumpet it. Don't announce it with trumpets. This is what he's talking about. Because this is what the rich people would do. How fabulous to give a giant offering, but also to let everybody know that you're giving a gigantic offering. Do you understand how delicious that would be? I mean, you would act humble. You wouldn't look around, but you just knew that your offering was ringing from here to Franklin. And it would be a wonderful thought, a wonderful feeling. And this is what they did. They would just file by all day long and throw in their gold and throw in their silver. And it would jangle and ring and echo throughout the temple. And everybody knew that the rich people were given. Everybody would know. That's what makes it so interesting. In the middle of all the rich people and the scribes and everybody else at the temple, in slips this little lady that nobody else would notice. And while everybody else throws their offering in the trumpets and it rings and it jangles and it clanks, I understand, can you possibly imagine the itty-bitty noise that nobody would hear when she drops in her two tiny coins? And the Greek word here used for the coins, it's the tiniest coin. It's like an eighth of, of a cent. It is the smallest possible coin, and she's only got two. It's like pitching in two fingernails, you understand? It just doesn't make any noise at all. And Jesus says, she's the one you watch. You want to learn something about giving? You want to learn something about the kingdom of God? She's the one you watch. So what can we learn from her? What can you learn about giving? What can you learn about generosity from watching her? First, let's talk about why we give. Why do people give? Obviously, some people give according to Jesus and according to our lives. You understand, some people give just like in Jesus' day in order to be seen. Some people like to give in such a way where other people will know that they're giving something. And I'm not just talking about church. Please understand. I'm talking about life. Some people will enjoy being benefactors. They'll enjoy making some sort of contribution or, or, or some sort of donation. But they want it done in such a way where they get credit for it. They'll always want a receipt. They'll want a plaque put somewhere with their name on it. They'll want to make sure that their name is listed in the program. They'll want to make sure that they're listed in the upper tier of donors. I mean, there are people who just enjoy that. They'll give in such a way where they get recognition for giving. And there's something human about that. And Jesus says, that if that's what you want, then you get your reward. I mean, you get that. You can be seen in giving. And for a lot of people, that's the primary motivation. I just want to be seen as giving. I want to be well thought of in the community. I want people to know that I've got money and that I'm generous. And if that's your aim, Jesus says you can have that. You'll get that. that that's your reward. People will think well of you, I, I suppose. In church life, though, I know that there are people who give out of guilt. That They just give out of guilt. If the plate goes by and you don't put money in it, you feel guilty. It's not so much that you're worried about what other people think. You just don't like to pass it. There's something about you that just feels guilty for not giving. You're the person that, that, that commercials are made for. You're the reason why Sarah McLachlan sings that long, sad, I mean, that horribly long, sad song when they show, you know, mangy dogs on TV and you just put your checkbook. I mean, you just feel guilty if you don't. 
Some people are, are very well led by guilt, and that's the primary motivation for, for giving. You just feel awful if you don't. And God bless your heart. I guess it's wonderful that your heart is so tender. I just am not sure that guilt is the best reason to give. Of course, for a lot of us, it's the preachers. It's the way we've been taught in church to give that, that, that has made us feel guilty in that way. You can combine guilt and fear, and you can get a pretty good offering. You know, the old preachers used to talk about tithing. Tithing is the Old Testament biblical principle of giving 10% of everything that you earn. And we still practice tithing, but we talk about tithing too. But the old preachers used to say, if you don't tithe, God will take it out of your hide. I used to hear preachers say that. If you don't tithe, God will take it out of your hide. What did he, I mean, that sounds awful. What did he mean by that? If you don't give it up, if you don't give it to God, he'll take it out of your hide. He'll take it from you. You'll pay that money to the doctor next week. You'll pay it to the mechanic. You're going to pay one way or the other, but don't you think you can rob God? You understand? And honestly, that's true. That, that's true. I, I do believe that we should give out of obedience, and I do believe that the tithe belongs to the Lord, and you don't rob God. I do believe that's true. I'm just not sure that guilt and fear are the best motivators for giving for people who are supposed to love God. You understand? I just don't know why fear would have to motivate people who are supposed to love God. Because honestly, in Scripture, the motivation for giving is supposed to be love. It's supposed to be love. What does the Bible say? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. In other words, it's supposed to make you happy to give. Remember what Jesus says? It's more blessed to give than to receive. The motivation for giving is not supposed to be guilt and fear. Come on. Come on. Do you really think you're pleasing God when you put your offering in the plate, but you know the preacher's got your arm twisted behind it? Take it out of your hide. I mean, do you really think that that, that somehow glorifies God? We give out of love. We, we give out of joy. It's, it's fun to give. It's freeing to give. Freely give, Jesus says. Freely give as freely as you have received. You just give. You just give. How many of you have ever really fantasized about winning the lottery or somehow coming into a whole lot of money? You, know, you dream about your rich uncle dying or whatever. How I many of you see your hands? You ever think about that? Yeah. Probably all of us except our rich uncles, probably all of us dream of that. Man, what would it be like to all of a sudden have a lot of money? What would you do? I mean, you think about it, right? What would you do with the money? I mean, tell me. What would you do? New house? Gigantic new house? Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to buy a new house? Never think about that. If you could just buy any house you wanted, what house would you buy? Yeah, man, for me and Casey, the house we would buy is in Seaside, Florida. We call it our house. Now, the people who live there don't know we call it that. And they'd probably be freaked out if they knew how often we go to Google and look at it. We look at our house. Oh, my goodness. If, if I had all the money in the world, I'd go buy my house in Seaside, Florida. Oh, my goodness. It sits in this grove, this thick, shady grove of palm trees. It has a pool out back. It's a screened-in pool. 
oh, oh my goodness, you're all invited down to my house. And, and I just think about, man, if you could just buy any house in the world or, or any car. I mean, would you buy a car? A lot of us would, man, just to go buy a car. be amazing to buy a new car. Oh, my goodness. And to get a, a new car that, like, is new, new car. I mean, you know, not just where you get the little new car smell from the car wash, and then you imagine it's a, yeah, man, new cars are awesome. You ever bought a new car? A new car. Like the new cars that park themselves? Have you seen that on TV? It'll be so many years before rich people buying those cars or selling them used, and I get one. You understand? It'll park itself. Oh, my. And cars now, they're driving themselves. Oh, my goodness. I see cars driving themselves all the time down Scottsville Road, but it's not the same thing. I mean, they make cars now that drive themselves and park themselves. Oh, my goodness. Would you buy one of those cars? Would you get some plastic surgery done? I mean, if you had all the money in the world, would you go get everything fixed? Please? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, would you? I mean, a new teeth. Uh, you could get a hair, baby. I mean, you could, get a, you could get a weave. You could get a hair piece that would fool everybody. I mean, it would be so amazing. Man, they could tuck and cut, and, and they could make you up. I mean, would you do that? I mean, get work done? Do you ever think about how much fun it would be just to have all the money to buy all the stuff that you could possibly imagine? I mean, honestly, that's kind of fun to think about, and it's something human about that. And I'm not sure that there's anything particularly sinful about thinking about all those things. Honestly, it's, it's, it's fun to buy stuff. Can I just say that out loud? It's, it's just fun to buy stuff, and we all recognize that. And in the same way that, that you sort of enjoy spending and and buying for other things, the point is you're supposed to enjoy investing in the kingdom of God. I'm not suddenly talking like, to, like a preacher. I'm trying to tell you something very true. That, that same freedom and delight you feel in buying things for yourself, that's the kind of freedom and delight that you're intended to feel when you give it away. God loves a, a cheerful giver. So when you think about, gosh, if I had money and, and how much I'd love to buy this or have this, do, do thoughts of the kingdom ever come into that? I mean, honestly, it's not the deal where you think, God, if you'll let me win the lottery, I will tithe, I will tithe. No, no, I'm not talking about making a deal with God. I'm saying in your heart of hearts, do you ever dream about how good it would feel to, to give money away like that? To, to give to kingdom kingdom causes. Did you ever think about what it would be like if you, had, if you had enough money where you could just support missionaries, just support them? Think about if you had enough money where you could just, you know, pay for stuff, just, just write checks and, and, and give to churches and, and give to people, just give to God. You ever, you ever think about that? Because I think that's where God wants our hearts. I love the example of Rick Warren, who was just a pastor out in California, but once he wrote his book, The Purpose Driven Life, and suddenly had so much money, I love his example. I love the way the first thing he did once he had that much money is he paid the church back for every dime of salary he had ever drawn. He paid the church back for all of the money they'd ever given him, and he started living, ministering without a salary. Man, I, I, I love that. I would so do that. I promise you I would. We'll never have that opportunity, so I can promise you that, that I would. No, I, I, 
he started living on what he calls a reverse tithe. In other words, he gives 90% and lives on 10%. Do you understand the kingdom heart there and the true joy there is in giving? Because this is our motivation. It's just so joyful to give. It's the kind of thing that will really light you up. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, if you truly don't understand the joy in just giving, giving it away, then you've never given enough. You've never given anything. This is what life's about. It's more blessed. It, it, it makes you happier to give it than to get it. So learn to give it. Learn to love giving. I'm not trying to get you to give money so it comes into our church and I'll have more. Surely y'all know me better than that. I'm talking about your spiritual life, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Our, our desire to have these material things, our desire to put ourselves first always when we're doling out the cash. You understand, that's a bad sign for our spiritual lives. We give not to be seen giving. We, we give not out of guilt or out of fear. We give out of joy. We just give out of love. It's just fun to give. God loves a cheerful giver. So how much? That's your next question, right? I mean, you people are already doing math in your head. How much do I have to give to feel cheerful? How much? Well, see, that's, really, that, that's just a really interesting question. And it's more complicated than you probably wish. You probably wish I'd just tell you an amount. We'd turn to the chapter and verse, and I'd give you the amount, and then you just know, and you could automatically have that withdrawn and not have to think about it. But, but honestly, Scripture doesn't make it that easy. Uh, giving is not supposed to be something so automatic. It's supposed to be something that you do. It's, it's a discipline that, that you practice. It's, it's important enough that you ought to have to think about it. You ought to consider it. And that's what Paul encourages in 2 Corinthians. You, you plan and think about your, your giving. In Scripture, we have a number of examples. You see, for example, when Zacchaeus comes to Christ, and Zacchaeus uh, is a changed man because of meeting Jesus, what does Zacchaeus say? He says, here and now, I'm going to give what? Half. I'm going to give half of everything I have. I'm going to give half away. That's the first thing he does when he meets Christ is he says, I'm giving away half of everything. That's Zacchaeus' example. I'm going to give away half. That, 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 that's interesting. Of course, the woman here in our story, she gives away everything. She gives everything. She has two small coins, two tiny coins. It's next to nothing, honestly. What she has all together in the world is next to nothing, but she gives it all. She has two coins. Now, I don't know exactly how you think, but if I was her and I had two coins and I was going by the temple to make an offering, I would probably do what? I'd give one and keep one. I mean, you know, it's like, God, I've only got two. How about we just split these? You have one eye, but that's not the way she thinks. She is so entirely self-forgetful, not thinking about herself, not worried about herself, not thinking about what am I going to do, who's going to take care of me. She just simply gives everything. The early Christians in the book of Acts, they sort of did the same sort of thing. They would give everything. They would share everything. If somebody had land, they'd sell the land, and they would divide that among the poor. I mean, in Scripture, you have all kinds of examples, but not necessarily a figure. 
not necessarily one particular example that it's a commandment that everybody follow. In Scripture, we have a number of examples that are obviously given to inspire us, to show us the heart behind giving, but nobody ever says, you've got to be like Zacchaeus. You've got to do just like the woman in this story. You've got to live like the early Christians in Acts. We're never given those kinds of commandments. We're shown the examples of their hearts and told to have the same heart, but nowhere does the math necessarily apply to everybody in, in exactly the same way. Now you're saying, well, Brother Tim, what about the tithe? The Bible says tithe, and you're right. The Old Testament says a lot about tithing. And in the Old Testament, people gave a lot of tithes, a lot of tithes. So honestly, it's probably more than you're thinking. It's not just they give 10% once. They gave multiple tithes all the time. So, so that 10% is sort of the Old Testament standard. The thing is, that standard isn't nullified in the New Testament, but in the same way, it's not commanded. That kind of legal rule standard is not necessarily given to us in the New Testament. Now, I don't think that means that we don't tithe. I think tithing is always going to be the minimum standard. That, that 10% is kind of the minimum standard. It's sort of like training wheels. When your child was learning to ride a bike, you put training wheels so that they could learn how to keep the bike up. And I think that tithing is sort of the training wheels for new believers so that you can practice and learn generosity. But for the life of me, I can't imagine that anybody who is cheerful and sacrificial in their giving is ever going to be all that satisfied with just 10%. Honestly, in the New Testament, there's just this idea, this principle that you give according to what you receive. You give according to what you receive. There's a proportion, and this is how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians when he talks a lot about giving. There's a, a proportion to it. In other words, those who receive more from God, they, they should be giving more. Everybody should probably be giving the 10%. That's probably the minimum, but, but you give according to what you've received. You give according to what you have. There's a proportion here. Paul is very careful. Paul says you give what you can, not what you can't. You give what you can, not what you can't. But, but who, as a cheerful giver, is going to sit down and calculate the smallest number that they have to give? It's, our, our example is, is to give sacrificially and to give cheerfully. So honestly, who is just going to count the pennies and try to see how little they can get by giving? You see, this is what... The rich people did in the temple back in Jesus' day. Jesus said, look at those guys. They give out of their wealth. They give out of the surplus. Understand the difference there. The biblical principle is to give according to your wealth. According to, not out of. And I know I'm parsing words there, but understand. Giving out of means you're just giving out of what you can already afford to do without. And this is what the rich people did in Jesus' day. This is what most rich people do in our day. They're just giving what they can afford to do without. And if that's what we're doing, then, then, then are we giving? Are we giving cheerfully? Are, are we satisfying that, that love relationship with the Lord? Are we giving as freely as God is giving to us? Several years ago, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, I say that right, Arnold famously gave a million dollars to a very prominent Jewish foundation, a Jewish, a, a Jewish a charity. He gave a million dollars. Arnold gave a million dollars. 
Now, that's stunning to me. I, I can't even count the zeros. I mean, I can't believe a million dollars. But then you know what? And I'm not taking anything away. God bless him. God, God bless him. But that very year, that, that very summer, Terminator 3 had come out. Terminator 3. And, and Arnold reportedly received $30 million just for that few months when the movie came out. He got $30 million for doing Terminator 3. $30 million just in, you know, in, in, in a few months that summer. That, that's what he made. That doesn't even count what he made for what? Terminator 2 and Terminator 1 and that movie where he got pregnant. And what was that? And, and Kindergarten Cop. I mean, I mean, this is a man with a career. He makes millions and millions and millions of dollars. So, so all of a sudden when you hear that he gave away a million dollars, is he generous? Is that generosity? And I'm not asking you to judge Arnold. We don't know his heart. I'm just asking you to sort of look at the math there. I mean, he gave a million dollars, but it's a million dollars that obviously he could afford to do without. I mean, how many millions of dollars do you need? And this is the biblical principle here. It's not about giving out of what you can afford to do without. It's not about getting to the end of your month and then giving to God if you have any left. You understand what we give to God, we should give first, and we give joyfully, and we give sacrificially, and we give cheerfully. If you want to know how much, you just take the words of Jesus. Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. You understand? You just give. You just give. You want an example? One day in the temple, Jesus was watching the people, and all the rich guys would come by and pour their gigantic bags of coins in those trumpets, and it would jangle and ring and echo for blocks. In the middle of all that, this little lady came in with, with two little bitty coins, two itty-bitty coins. They made no noise when she dropped them in, none whatsoever. She dropped them in, and she passed on, and Jesus said, look at her. Look at her. She has given more than all the other givers combined. Now, that's not very good mathematics, you understand? That's not very good mathematics. But the way Jesus does accounting, she's given more than everybody else combined because she gave everything. You understand? Think about this. When that little lady left the temple that day, there was nothing about her. There was nothing that she possessed that was not God's. Did I say that clear? Do you understand? There was nothing about her that was not God. It's not about the two coins, my friend. She gave herself. She gave all to the Lord. There was no part of her that had not been surrendered to him. Jesus said, she's the one you watch. Look at her. Pray with me.
Lord, help us to understand that truly today, we're not talking about cashing in our money. We're talking about cashing in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to understand that if it's so difficult to give our money back to you, Lord, then truly we must be withholding giant parts of ourselves. Help us, Lord, to surrender all. Help us, Lord, to get past the point where we're so very persnickety about the pennies we give back to you when you lavish blessings on us day after day after day. Forgive us, God, for the way we fantasize about having more and more for ourselves, a house in Florida. Lord, when there are people who have nothing, nothing. Lord, forgive us for being like the rich people in the Bible who give to be seen and who give to be noticed and who give hoping to get something back from you, God. Forgive us. Help us. Help us just to give ourselves, give our whole selves. Because truly, Lord Jesus, you gave yourself for us. You gave everything on the cross. You laid aside all of the riches of heaven, became poor so that we could inherit the riches of heaven. God, forgive us for working so hard to take care of ourselves when truly you are the one who takes care of us. So help us, Lord, simply to trust, simply to give, simply to surrender all. Lord Jesus, I know that you're still watching people and you're watching over every one of us and you are watching the worship in this house today. Look deep into our hearts, Lord. We pray that like the widow so many years ago, that as we leave this room, we will leave this room with nothing, nothing, that is not totally surrendered to you. Lord Jesus, start with our hearts. We give you our hearts and we pray in Jesus' name.